Welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost and see how it fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be covering episode 104, entitled Walkabout. And let's start with a quick summary of the episode from Wikipedia. In the flashbacks, John Locke is shown working in an office building for a box company. He's a cruel manager named Randy Nations, who is constantly taunting and demeaning Locke. At one point, Locke tells off Randy and feels great about it. Locke is then shown in Australia, talking to one of the leaders of a walkabout. He refuses to let Locke come because of his condition, saying it is too big a risk for the insurance company. As the man gets up to leave, Locke is shown to be using a wheelchair. Later, in the aftermath of Oceanic Flight 815, Locke wakes up on the beach and notices that his toes wiggle, making him realize that he is no longer paralyzed. On the island, four days have passed since the crash. Boars raid the body-filled fuselage, causing Jack Shepard to decide it should be burned. The survivors discover that their food is exhausted and wonder what to do. Locke reveals to hold many hunting knives and suggests to go after the boar in the jungle. On his hunting mission, Locke is accompanied by Kate, who was given by Saeed an antenna, which will be set to help triangulate the signal of the French transmission, and Michael. While hunting the boar, Michael is attacked by one of the animals and gets his leg hurt. Kate starts leading Michael back to the beach, while Locke goes on his own into the jungle. As Kate and Michael head back, she climbs up a tree to attach the antenna. However, before she can finish, she hears the sounds of the monster, causing her to drop and break the equipment. The monster heads straight for Locke, who stares straight at it. Michael and Kate return to camp, and when she goes to tell Jack about Locke, Jack sees a man in a suit walk into the jungle. Jack chases after him, and Kate follows. But instead of the mysterious figure, they find Locke, who brings with him a dead boar. That night, the fuselage is burned, while Claire, at a memorial service for the dead passengers, using information she found in their passports, wallets, and luggage. Michael thanks Locke for hunting the boar, then asks John about the monster. But Locke says he did not see anything. Looking toward the fire, Locke sees his wheelchair against the flame and smiles. Now, on to uh, my thoughts about the episode as a whole. Clearly, this is one of the great, great episodes of the series, and um, that's shown even in the uh, in the first shots. The cold opening to the iconic eye shot, revealing that we're back at the crash. Um, watching that scene too, it's amazing to think that they went back and shot new footage to be interspersed into the crash footage. If you really watch with the critical eye, you can see that the crash footage uh, just of Locke kind of waking up in this episode. Um, it's shot very, very tightly. I think it's, and I don't know my camera work that well. I think it's, you know, like a long lens from far away. So it kind of looks like they're, they're, there's lots of stuff going on around Locke. But when you, uh, you know, actually look at those scenes, there's not a whole lot going on. It's mostly, you know, wobbly camera, a couple of people running around in the background. It's not big wide shots of the crash scene. 
Um, so, I mean, that's just to their credit that, uh, you know, that they're able to go back and make something that you think was shot during the, the, the pilot episode. Um, also, to me, there's just kind of this, you know, with, with, the, with this podcast here, there's kind of the, the running notion of Jack is always wrong. You know, I like the actor, but I just find that the character himself is frequently wrong. Case in point. He supposes that the sounds in the fuselage are Sawyer, but he's dead wrong, as punctuated by Sawyer standing right behind him. It's just, you know, to me, it's it's just this notion of Jack is not a great leader. When Jack is the one in charge to decide for everybody, that's fine. The moment that he has to interact with people, he's just, simply put, less successful. Um, another thing early on in this episode, which has been repeated in, in previous episodes and been mentioned in previous podcasts is they kind of will do a little bit of a refresher for the audience. I don't mean the previously on Lost business. They'll kind of, in the conversation early on in the episode, give a quick little review just in case anybody's new to the show. Jack says that we've crashed. We're a thousand miles off course, and it's been four days. And, you know, so that's just that little, you know, for those of you at home who are new, here's the basic thing that you have to know. Um, and then moving on to... to you know, Locke as a whole in this episode, oh my goodness, the introduction of Locke as Hunter with the knife throwing, the hunting Zen master, it's absolutely positively splendid. The music is wonderful, the the camera work is wonderful, and Locke's monologue is wonderful, and why don't we take a listen, uh, a listen to what he has to say. Okay, Mr. Locke, what is it that we're hunting? We know there are wild boar on the island, razorbacks by the look of them. The ones that came into the camp last night were piglets, 100, 150 pounds each, which means that there's a mother nearby, a 250-pound rat with scimitar-like tusks and a surly disposition who'd love nothing more than to eviscerate anything comes near. Boar's usual mode of attack is to circle around charge from behind, so I figure it'll take at least three of us to distract her long enough for me to flank one of the piglets, pin it, and slit his throat. And you gave him his knife back? I mean, what's there to say that that clip doesn't capture? It's just so wonderfully delivered. Um, you know, it's it's the introduction of Locke as this amazing, reliable, fantastic character. Um, somebody who, you know, we haven't had a great sense of in the first three episodes. But just, you know, here's the guy to save the day. Um, and then, of course, it's obviously, and, uh, yeah, and deliberately so, uh, contrasted with his flashback. To me... This episode, in a lot of ways, is the first episode of The Lost that we know. Yeah, you know, the, the previous three episodes, there's been flashbacks, there's been the introduction of the monster, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But this is the first episode where, in my mind anyway, the, the flashback and the on-island story are just meshing back and forth so wonderfully. I mean, maybe, you know, there, maybe there's a couple better examples. Uh, the, the, there's a Charlie episode where... Uh, uh, the flashback is uh, with him um, selling copiers uh, that I think maybe matches up a bit better. And, you know, we'll talk about that in due course. But this is the first episode where you go from, wow, Locke is going to save the day. This is absolutely amazing to flashback Locke. Um, and let's talk about some of those scenes right now. There's such excellent, excellent staging with all the scenes involving Locke in a wheelchair before we know he's in a wheelchair. If you look carefully, there's always something in the way. 
the, his desk, the corner of the cubicle, the way uh, when when Locke and GL23 or whoever his board game opponent is, um, uh, you know, in, in that scene, the way Randy sits, blocks you from seeing Locke's wheelchair. Um, in later scenes, Locke is in the, you know, in bed. You know, side note, I, I read either on Wikipedia or Lostpedia, on the side of his bed, he's running a, a, a muscle, um, you know, a, a machine to address muscle loss in, uh, you know, in paralyzed patients. But unless you know what that box is ahead of time, they just, they, they, they block it so absolutely wonderfully. Um, you know, and in another sense, this is one of the first times that there's the great, you, know, you, you know, the audience is having the twist hidden from them. I mean, yes, there are twists twist at the end, and that's not a, necessarily a new concept for the show, even four episodes in, but, you know, this is such wonderful uh, kind of creation of hiding, uh, you know, hiding in plain sight this story twist. Anyhow, moving on. Um, not to toot my own horn, by the way, when I did watch this episode the first time, I, after the mysteries of the first three episodes, I was keeping an eye out for how can we kind of, you know, uh, figure out future mysteries and I pretty early on I did call that he was in a wheelchair, um, so whatever. Anyhow, um, that initial scene of Locke in the wheelchair at his cubicle, interesting choice of sound effects. Um, specifically, they, they end the scene and go to commercial with um, you know one of those electronic uh, adding machines that have the roll of paper, and uh, I'm sure anybody listening will uh, take note of this sound. So I'll be honest, I'm not entirely sure what to make of that. I mean, obviously, it's the sound that becomes one of the smoke monster sounds. Um, you know, I mean, I can all, you know, part of the conceit of this podcast is to be viewing the series uh, through the lens of having seen all the episodes. Here we are at the very, very end. We're going to look back. Um, so I, I, I don't quite know what to make. The fact that very early on, they're linking the... They're linking Locke to the smoke monster. I mean, yes, in future scenes, he's going to meet the smoke monster for the first time and later clear that he was peering into the eye of the island. But, you know, it's almost like this deliberate attempt to connect uh, Locke to not just, you know, the the unseen monster, but also to these things that surround it, the sound effects, etc. You know, given that, in a sense, Locke becomes the smoke monster or, you know, uh, which is what appears... To to us, and then you know, more accurately would be the 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 opposite, which is that the smoke monster becomes Locke or takes the form of Locke. Um, you know, if there was a master plan, and this is something we discuss each week, you know, depending on how specific the the master plan was, boom, here we are in episode one hundred four, the very first uh, kind of link or foreshadowing even to show that Locke will become the smoke monster. That here in his normal life, there are these kind of. Um, you know, kind of hints of it or, 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 or echoes of it. Um, again, not to suggest that the the smoke monster is actually there, but just to kind of take a, a literary look at things that say, I don't know, the smoke monster is coming, it's going to be a huge, uh, huge factor in Locke's life. Um, I don't know, again, I'm not quite sure what to make of it because it's so kind of there and in your face. 
Um, certainly, the you know the actual effect for for that sound effect for the smoke monster. I think the trivia is that it's from a, uh, a New York City taxi cab receipt printer. So you know receipt printer uh, and this adding machine printer. Uh, again, I'm not. I don't quite know what to make of it, but to me, it's just suggestive of this this link that is to come. Um, and speaking of links to come, uh, we have you know knowing we're, we're Kate and Jack are going to end up, we have this uh, little wonderful moment of Jack the Jerk. So take a listen. Call me paranoid, but anyone who packs a suitcase full of knives? I didn't know any better. I'd say you're worried about me, Jack. I didn't know any better. I'd say you have a problem staying in one place for very long, Kate. I don't know. It's just like, how could we have liked this character so much from the word go? Before we knew he was going to be wrong about so many things, before we knew he was going to be wrong about getting the distress call, distress call out and the freighter helping out, and before him being, uh, you know, uh, falling into this uh, uh, despair after he gets off the island, and his poor choice to get off the island, and how they need to go back, and before we knew all that, here he is being such a jerk, and certainly my recollection at the time was not sitting here going, boy, I don't like this guy. It's, you know, there he is, the square-jawed, Shepherd, you know, literally with the last name and figuratively in his actions, here he is, the guy, the guy in, in in most stories who's, you know, the hero man who's here to take care of us. Oh, he's just tremendously aggravating. I'm sorry. I'm sure there's people who disagree, but it's just he's so kind of obtuse and one-minded and grumpy about being there in, in an episode where everybody else is uh, moving towards hope for some kind of future, maybe not the hope of rescue, but um, anyhow, uh, Jack the Jerk, there he is yet again, and it's it's kind of contrasted by Jack as the reluctant leader, you know, sometimes he's willing to step up, other times he isn't. An example of Jack as the reluctant leader, uh, when Claire wants Jack to lead the memorial service for the burned bodies, he completely blows off Claire, just, you know, w- with the comment that, well, you know, she says, you know, she asks him something, uh, you know, asks him to lead it, and he responds, you know, it's not my thing, and walks off in the middle of the conversation. Walking off in the middle of the conversation is an a usual enough thing in TV or film to just kind of, you know, end the conversation somehow, but... He's just so absolutely, you know, absolutely like, you know, he's not saying to her, well, listen, I think you'd be really good at it or maybe somebody, he's just saying, you know, no, not for me, end of discussion, just, Ugh. and in fact, before I move on, this continues over Boone's, or this continues with Boone's concern over Rose. Rose is sitting away from everybody. The assumption is she's having some sort of breakdown or can't uh, fully accept the reality of the situation. So Boone says, you know, hey, you know, Jack, you think you, you should go talk to her? You're the doctor, you're the leader, you're the guy we're all looking to. Jack's response is, why me? And only commits to going over to talk to Rose after Boone essentially guilts him into it. I think the comment is, you know, you're the one who saved her, saved her life back in the, you know, right after the crash. You know, it's, to me, Jack is just so abrasive in this episode. I I don't know. I, I He's just this whiny you know, I mean, the when, when the show was on, the joke, you know, online and whatnot, you know, Jack crying in the woods. Well, this is Jack whining on the beach. So, anyhow, let's move on. Luckily, there is some sunshine in this uh, downer episode of Locke being frustrated in the flashback and Jack being frustrated on, on the island. I love that Charlie is being used in the, in the episode. 
You might recall from future podcast episodes, I started watching Lost because Charlie was in it. Um, you know, I, I knew Dominic Monaghan not just from the Lord of the Rings movies, but a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff for the Lord of the Rings movies and his commentary tracks or whatever. He's so entertaining. And I remember just, you know, saying, you know what, let, let me give this show a try, even though my, my slate is rather full and... You know, so I always have a, a special place in my heart for Charlie. He's used so wonderfully in this episode, especially with his comic touches. And he just has this wonderful, wonderful speech to Shannon about fishing. And let's take a listen. Hi. Hi. Shannon, right? Yeah. Are you doing anything? Me? No, I, I was just, uh, what are you doing? Um... I was just going to go for a walk. You want to come? Yeah. Yes. Sure. Can I ask you something? I wondered when this was going to come up. Yes, I am the bass guitarist. Yeah, do you know anything about fishing? What? F fishing? Uh, my granddad used to take me out. He taught me everything he knows, everything he knew. He's dead now, God rest his soul. Uh, yeah, I'm like a, I'm a, I'm a fishing fiend. You know, I mean, England's an island, so I just throw it in and fish. <laughs> England's an island, so I just throw it in and fish. It's just wonderful. It's playing to his, to his comic uh, talents. And, um, you know, it's also kind of serving a secondary purpose early on in that clip where... You know, not a lot of these characters are getting tons of screen time. So, you know, it's him saying, uh, Shannon, right? So they're able to repeat the names. But, I mean, boy, when he's when he's doing comedy, it's just so, so funny. And, um, you know, it's we know he's kind of being played. And, and there's, you know, it's also that wonderful moment of him thinking he's being mistaken as the rock star where, you know, I mean, from what we've seen, nobody's really that impressed that he was, you know, in a band that had some notoriety. Um, so it's kind of, you know, showing a bit of his ego as well. And it's just absolutely hilarious. You know, I cracked up when I rewatched the episode. I cracked up when I made the clip. I cracked up when I listened to it again just now. You know, I mean, just absolutely one of my favorite characters. Um, uh, and from favorite characters, let's move on to probably the, the least likable person in this episode, possibly uh, the least likable person in the entire show to, to, many, uh, to many degrees. But it's a bonus, and the huge bonus in this episode is the amazingly awful boss, Randy Nations. Fantastic character name. I don't know why. It's just to me, you know, I, maybe you know the notion of nations. It paints this idea of you know uh, something big, you know, across the the lands and many peoples, and that notion is is uh, you know boiled down to this guy who's just small and mean and mean more so on second viewings, uh, which let's talk about more after a little clip just to refresh your memory. Patience. The quality which you lack, GL12, is the hallmark of a leader. Hallmark, huh? Tell me more about being a leader, Locke. While you're at it, tell me about this colonel thing. Cruised your file in human resources? You've never been in any of the armed forces. I'm just playing a game, Randy. It's, it's my lunch hour. I can play a game. Yeah. Tell me, what's so loud? 
walkabout. Experience the dream journeys of the fabled Australian Outback. You have no right taking that off my desk. So you wander around, hunting and gathering food, right? On foot? You know, this clip doesn't work as well the first time because they're obviously not tipping their hand towards the fact that Locke's in a wheelchair. You go back and you listen to it as you just did with the knowledge that Locke's in a wheelchair. It's so even more mean. I mean, you kind of see it as the younger boss picking on the older employee. You know, he he comes across as a jerk, but to, to, to think that he's sitting there, you know, picking on the guy in a wheelchair, um, criticizing this idea of doing a walkabout for somebody who can't walk, He's just so awful. He's just, you know, he's mean. He's spiteful. Um, he's, I don't know. It, it's, it's, what a, what a wonderful small character. Um, you know, a, a bit role. Obviously, he comes up again in uh, some future episodes and, uh, you know, kind of has this wonderful little, little teensy weensy story arc, you know, as related to, uh, to, to Hurley and Hurley's different uh, different uh, careers and businesses that he's owned and whatnot. Um, but, you know, it, so I guess my point is it's nice to see him when he returns, if only because he's just so memorable from this episode. Um, moving on, this episode is also starting to really get a sense of planting seeds that come to fruition later on. There's Saeed's picture of Nadia. There's Rose talking about Bernard. There's Michael talking about Walt's mother dying two weeks ago, how Michael and the mother were divorced. There's also talk about Jack being born into the family business of medicine and Shannon using guys to get by in life. You know, it's almost like they did the pilot episode, the two-part pilot episode to get kind of, you know, here's the concept for the show. Bunch of people, big cast, mysteries, survival. Episode one, uh, 103 you're kind of starting to, you know, the the Kate episode, Tabula Rasa, it's like, okay, now we actually have to do the show for real. And, you know, months have gone by since they filmed the pilot. They need to kind of get things up and running. This is the first episode where they're saying, all right, now we have a show. We have all that initial stuff out of the way, you know, to get filming back going again. Now let's really start thinking thinking big, big term here, long term, down the line, et cetera. Um, it's you know it's it's also worth noting that coincidentally after this episode aired this episode which is giving little seeds to come to come ahead later after this episode aired the full season was picked up for you know by abc so a little bit of fortuitousness there um in terms of the acting the scene where Locke is on the phone with the fake helen we don't know it's the fake helen obviously at this point it's just phone sex lady um but it's this wonderful turning point that scene it's the point where we first realize that Locke is just an angry empty shell of a man and you know again it's this we're see this is like the first episode where we're seeing this interplay between uh flashback and on island he's you know just this empty person with nothing in his life on yeah at home uh in the flashback on the island, he's the guy. He puts food in people's bellies. He he's the leader. He's the one that can track and read the signs and whatnot. Um, and of course, he's also the one who gets the first uh, introduction uh, of the smoke monster, 
the first introduction doesn't result in a in a death. We're remembering, of course, the pilot from the, the first episode. But anyhow, in the introduction of the as-yet-unseen smoke monster, it is so very interesting that Locke isn't killed. Why? That's the question. What does the smoke monster see in him? Is it because Richard visited Locke when he was a boy, as we learn in later episodes? Is it because Smokey sees something in Locke? You know, what exactly, what's the criteria that Smokey has for, I'm going to kill the pilot, but I'm going to keep this guy alive? Um, I don't know. I don't know. It, it certainly smacks of some sense of destiny. Um, you know, the here in episode four, we see the very thing which ends up, in a sense, consuming Locke. Um, certainly, it gives Locke this sense of direction and this sense of the heart of the island and the, the wonderful things going on here. But then, you know, in Locke's death, um, the smoke monster becomes him or takes his form at the very least. Um, it, it, I don't know, it, it's just such a pivotal moment. There he is staring the thing in his. It, the thing is is looking at him, which will become him. And, uh, you know, again, as we've talked about each week, how much of the show they really, really had in mind, set in concrete, locked away in the proverbial, you know, J.K. Rowling wrote the last chapter and put it in a, in a bank vault, you know, uh, years before the novels were written, you know, that kind of thing. I don't know. But this episode and this scene in particular with the smoke monster it plays so well in light of the series as a whole, as we look back, it, because, you know, there he is looking at his future, essentially. And speaking of future, we, um, you know, one of the, perhaps the most special thing from season two, the most special moment, one of the most special moments of the series as a whole was the tail section people, and especially that wonderful, wonderful, wonderful episode where we find out who Bernard is. Rose's husband, of course. Need I? You know, I probably don't need to tell you, but um, I don't know that they were ever that their plan was to to do something like that. I know somewhere online I saw initially there were uh, plans of the tail section um, to be on the beach, and then at some point they, you know, they they removed that. You know, on the beach with the main crash part. But anyhow, we have a little um, bit of foreshadowing again. You know, sometimes it's difficult to say. You know, I don't know how much of a plan they had, but. We're looking at the series as a whole. Here we have some foreshadowing talking about the tail section people. So take a listen. Maybe if you wanted to say something, you know, about your husband. What? I'm just saying if you wanted to say goodbye to Bernard. Doctor, my husband is not dead. Rose, he was in the tail section of the plane. It broke off in mid-flight. I'm sorry, but everyone who was in the rear of the plane is gone. They're probably thinking the same thing about us. They're probably thinking the same thing about us. And, you know, and they are. It's like the the, the show wins it on this round. What, you know, how much was planned ahead? Guess what? The show wins it on this round. There we are. We get to look back, see her saying, you know, they probably think the same thing about us. And... And we know that to be true. You know, that that absolutely fantastic introduction of the tail section story awaits us in season two. I can't wait to get there. Um, and, you know, here we see the first little whisper of it. It's just it's just wonderful. Um, could, you know, 
I read online that they apparently, on the one hand, they didn't have a plan beyond episode 102 when Locke said he had a secret. Him being in a wheelchair only came together as this episode was being written. Um, still, there it is. There it is, talking about the tail section people, this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful um, turn that, that season two takes. Um, and it awaits us. Um but anyhow, back to focus on this episode. This episode concludes with the first big jaw-dropping twist of the series, coupled with the soaring music. For all the amazing love that we have for Locke as a character, on the one hand, you know, he might ultimately end up as being wrong about a lot of things. He might not necessarily have the destiny that he hoped for. I mean, let's not forget, when he gets off the island and hangs himself, that's the end of the Locke story, at least in this life. When we get to the the Flash Sideways storyline, where everyone is in the afterlife, that's separate. The Locke that we first meet on the beach waking up, the Locke that we get to know through flashbacks in this and, and other episodes, the Locke who does more things on island, You know that ends when they get off the island, the Oceanic Six get off the island, and uh, Locke is, you know, and Locke eventually hangs, uh, you know, oh, not hangs himself, but Locke is eventually found dead. When, you know, when Ben kills him, that's the end of the Locke uh, story. Pardon me for saying earlier that he hung himself. I was thinking back to a little uh, bit of newsprint that Jack has um, saying how, how Jeremy Bentham, the name Locke uses, uh, had hung himself. But anyhow, that's the end of the Locke story. And... You know, how much is there to him as a truly dynamic character? I'm not entirely sure, but um, anyhow, we have this, uh, there's this wonderful first big twist of the series, and, um, well, how could I not play a clip about it? Here we go. I can't keep the bus waiting any longer. It isn't fair to the other people. Don't talk to me about it. Fair! I'll get you on a plane back to Sydney on our dime. It's the best I can No, I, I don't want to go back to Sydney. Look, I've been preparing for this for years. Just put me on the bus right now. I can do this. No, you can't. Hey, hey, don't you walk away from me. You don't know who you're dealing with. Don't ever tell me what I can't do, ever. This is destiny. This is destiny. This is, this is my destiny. This is, I'm supposed to do this, damn it. Don't tell me what I can't do. Don't tell me what I can't well, and thus begins, you know, or thus is the introduction of, uh, of one of the great affirming lines of the show. Certainly in future episodes, this notion of Locke's destiny is something I'll be discussing. Um, you know, as I was hinting at uh, before the clip, I don't know that the leader Locke who gets introduced in this episode with, that, with the first clip, the boar hunting Zen master, I don't know that that is really the Locke that exists i think that's the lock that we are we are presented in the course of the series up until his his death back in los angeles but certainly something i'm looking at uh exploring in, in future podcast episodes is this notion that you know he just might be the broken down empty guy that might be who he really is i don't know that a lot of his prognostications about destiny and purpose actually come to fruition however this podcast episode has now come to fruition i hope you've enjoyed it you can certainly send feedback a couple different ways. 
You can uh, always say hello on Twitter. You can find me as Looking Back Lost. You can send an email or uh, use your iPhone or iPod Touch to record a voice message and send feedback to uh, the following email address, lookingbackatlost. That's all spelled out, lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. And you can always uh, visit the webpage, lookingbackatlost.podbean.com. So thank you very much for listening. Next week we will be doing White Rabbit, uh, the Jack episode. So as always, thank you for looking back with me. Bye-bye. They're people. I know they're people, Kate. 